I thank the Lord for that. But in the messages I've been preaching on sin, we learn from the Word of God that sin is a transgression of the law. If there's no God, there's no restraint. There's no law. There's no moral compass for an individual, for family, or for society. So if you can effectively eliminate God from your conscience, if you can eliminate God from your constitution, if you can eliminate God from your colleges, if you can eliminate God from your community, then you don't have to worry about it. You can do anything you want to. If you can somehow or another affect the moral climate to where anything is okay, they think everybody will feel good. They think the only reason people have a sense of condemnation over certain sins is because of a right-wing uh, fundamentalist biblical view in America. But the truth of the matter is that you are created a living soul. And that there is a God in heaven who fashioned you. And conviction does not come from the Constitution nor from the legality of law. But it comes from the presence of the holy God of heaven. And the reason people feel guilty is because they are guilty. And the reason they feel dirty is because they are dirty before holy God. Legislate all you want to. Legislation will not bring liberality. It will not bring freedom. It will not bring joy. I preached a few Sundays ago on the most subtle sin among the saints. And that has to do with in the book of 2 Peter where it said that we are to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we as a church and across America and around the world have got to the place where we quit growing. We came to a certain point spiritually and we've coasted since then. Many of you have been saved for a good long time. You have accepted the Bible as the Word of God. You believe that God is real. You believe the fundamentals of the faith. You believe the virgin birth. You believe the depravity of man. You believe in the blood atonement. You believe those things. But you quit growing. You've not developed spiritually. You've not grown in your love, your faith. You've surrendered to Christ. You're no more faithful to God now than you were 10 years ago. You're no more surrendered to Christ than you were 10 years ago. You're no more committed to Christ, no more loving of Christ, no more burden for souls, no more greater power in prayer than you had 10 years ago. And as a Christian, you do not coast. You go backwards. And those, he says in that church in the book of Revelation, they have a name that they're alive, but they're really dead. That's his estimation. That was the most subtle sin that Satan would deceive us and think because we are not like the world that we're Okay. But if we're not growing in the Lord and not in grace and growing in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, then we're dying or dead. I want to preach to you this morning on the most shameful sin of the church. And there are many that we, you could think about. You could list a lot of things about the shamefulness of sin among God's people. I'm sure you thought of some as soon as I said the title, the most shameful sin among the church. But I call your attention to the book of 1 Corinthians, and I want you to look with me, please, at verse, or chapter number 15, at verse 34. Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. The most shameful sin 
among the saints. Will you bow with me for prayer? Heavenly Father, I pray now the Holy Ghost of God to help me. God, it's not because of my personality, but because of the power of God, if anything happens here today. It's not because of my preaching, but because of your power and anointing. God, these are your people. And I know there's some in here, Lord, who are not saved. There may be visitors and guests who don't know you. Probably numbers of folk who are members of this church that may not even be saved. But God, you know the heart of men and women, boys and girls. And God, you have a seal on all your children. And I, Father, I pray God the Holy Ghost right now would speak to my heart and the heart of these friends. Our Father, we desperately need revival. We need the breath of God to breathe once again in this nation. God, we need that unction, that anointing that will make the difference. We pray God for that upon us this morning. Thank you for Brother Gary on Wednesday night. Thank you, God, for those who have been praying around the clock, for those who have been part of the 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week prayer team. Now, Father, I do believe that you said if we'd call on you, you'd answer us. And God, I'm asking God in Jesus' name once again that you'd visit us, give us your anointing, and we'll thank you and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. The Apostle Paul writes to the church at Corinth, and he says this, Awake to righteousness and sin not. And then he said, For there are many who know not God, who don't know the Lord. And I speak this to your shame. What a shame it is that folk don't know the Lord. And the shameful part of it is this, that they don't have the knowledge of him. I want to remind you in the book of Romans, that this morning we were in the prayer meeting with the men, we were talking. In the book of Romans, the apostle writes this, and he says that how shall they believe in him in whom they've not heard? How can they believe if they've not heard? You say, look at the condition of our nation. But how many of them have legitimately heard the gospel? I'm not talking about going to religious services. But I'm talking about having heard the word of God. I ended up signing up for the time between 12, 30 and 1 o'clock in the morning to pray. And, And God's met with me there. And I appreciate the opportunity to do that. But on one night last week, I had gone up upstairs to pray. And I was down praying and asking God to speak and asking God to bless. And I said, oh, God, we need power. And, oh, God, I pray you'd save souls. And, God, why is it we don't see more people saved? And, and why is it that, that we, don't, we don't see the power of God? And, God, we must have revival. We've got to have the power. And, God, save people. I pray, God, for the day that people will walk the aisles of churches across this country. And there will be mass conversions, not just in Sunday meetings, but throughout the week. And that the Bible, as the Bible said of the day of Pentecost, that they went everywhere preaching the word of God and people got saved everywhere. The Lord added daily to the church. And I said, oh, God, do that. God, save, save, save. And the Holy Ghost of God spoke to my heart. And it was a most unusual thing. And I ended up laying on the floor. I really believe it was the Lord. And he said, well, Suppose I did send revival. Suppose I did send a supernatural in gathering on this condition. That I'll send legitimate real revival. But I'll only save those that you have personally witnessed to. And everybody else will go to hell. 
Suppose he told you that if revival comes, I'm going to save everybody in your sphere of influence, your children, your grandchildren, your neighbors, your work associates, those schoolmates that you have. If revival comes, if you've talked to them about Christ, if you witnessed to Christ and they paid you no attention and it's like water off a duck's back, if you have given them a good, clear presentation of the gospel, I'll bring that to their mind. I'll quicken the spirit. I'll prick their heart and I'll save them for my glory and take them to heaven. But everybody that you know, everybody around you that you have not witnessed to, at the moment I save some, I'll send the rest of them straight to hell. I got on my face and I said, oh God, have mercy. I wonder if we are praying for God to send revival because we're so lazy. We won't do what he wants us to do and we want that extra so we don't have to do it. As I've read about the revivals of days gone by, the men of God, they preach to their people about sin and getting right with God and getting clean and praying for that supernatural move of God and the power of God to come in real revival. And for that supernatural moving of God whereby he breaks people and draws them and brings them under conviction. But they also pleaded with them to do the works of revival. Spend much time in prayer. Spend much time seeking God and spend much time in sharing the gospel and pleading with people. They go hand in hand. The most shameful sin among the saints of God is that some have not the knowledge of God. I want you to look in the book of Acts in chapter number one. What is it we're missing? What is it we're missing? In Acts chapter one, I begin reading in the first verse. The form of Thetis have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up. After that, he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he saith, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, he asked them, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? And he said unto them, it is not for you to know the times of the season which the Father has put in his own power, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me both in Jerusalem and Judea and to Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. You remember the amazing story of Pentecost? And it says this as he preached to them on that day of Pentecost. Look at chapter 2. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues, languages, as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. And when it was, when, when it was, when it was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in their own language. God did a wonderful miracle through the work of the Holy Spirit of God. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how here we every man in his own tongue, wherein we are born. He goes on and brings that great message. Holy Spirit of God empowered him. And finally it comes down to verse 
number 37. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart, convicting power of the Holy Spirit of God. And Peter said unto the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And they said unto Peter and the apostles, and and men and brethren, what must we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus for the remission of sin, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promises unto you and to your children, to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this underward generation. Then they that gladly received the word were baptized the same day with added in them about 3,000 souls. Well, that's a day, wasn't it? That's the way it was when the Holy Ghost of God came in power on the church. That's the way it was. Have you ever seen anything close to that? Have you ever seen anything close to that? God, the Holy Ghost, chose to come and move in great power. As I read through this passage of Scripture devotionally this week, had no idea I'd be preaching on it this morning. But I began to make a few notes here in this passage of Scripture. He told them, you've got to have the power of God on you. You've got to have the fullness of the Holy Ghost. Every person in this building that's saved has the Spirit of the living God living inside of you. He that hath not the Spirit of Christ is none of his. If you're, not sa- if you're saved, the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you. When you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God came in you crying, Abba, Father. But the truth of the matter is, many are not filled with the Holy Ghost and empowered. He said in the book of Ephesians, be not drunk with wine where it is excess, but be filled with the Holy Ghost. What does it mean? What's it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God? He paralleled about that between that and alcohol. If a person's drunk, they're controlled by the alcohol. And sometimes uh, prison sentences or, or crimes are lessened because somebody was impaired. If they want some sort of ner- nerve medication that altered their personality or, or, or changed them in some way, they were not accountable because they were controlled by something else. And to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God simply means that the Spirit of God that lives in you, He controls you completely. What hinders that? What keeps him from doing that? If it's true that he's not willing that any should perish and that we are to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature and we have not done that. And Paul said, I speak that to your shame. Why have we not done that? Why do we not do that? We're talking about our family relationships. We're talking about our political affiliations. We're talking about our favorite football team. But why is it that we have so many who live by us and our friends and family, that we have never shared the simple gospel with them in a clear fashion. I speak this to our shame. Why is it? Because we don't, we're not controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. I look at these men here, and I think about them. He said, you must have the fullness of the Holy Spirit of God. Though you have been chosen, he said here in this past scripture, they were chosen. You were saved. God puts you where you are. He's chosen you to be a witness where you are. And and though they had had the companionship of Christ, he was with them and had been with them. And and they had that companionship of Christ. Holy Spirit of God lives in you. But they must, that doesn't mean you've got the power. Doesn't mean you're filled with the Holy Spirit of God. They had heard his communications, his teachings. They heard, heard him teach and all that he said and did. And many of us have listened. The Holy Spirit of God's been our teacher and our guide. And we know something about the Bible, but that does not mean we're full of the Holy Spirit. It does not mean that we have that. They they have a concern. They have a compassion and they have a command, but they, they, they don't have the power. They don't, they're not filled with the Holy Spirit of God. 
And he told them not to depart, but to wait. And as I read that passage of scripture, I thought how difficult that must have been. Because here is the Lord Jesus Christ. They saw him beaten. They saw him mutilated. They saw him beat with that cat of nine tails. They saw him nailed to a cross. And they, they, their hearts were just crushed when he gave up the ghost and cried, it is finished. And he died when he was taken off that cross and wrapped in linen and put in that grave and sealed. And they ran. They were crushed and defeated. But on that morning of that third day, when he came out of that grave and the angel said, he is not here. He is living. And when he appeared to them on several different occasions, man, their heart began to get excited. They began to rejoice. It's all true. He's real. And, and thank God we have encountered the living Christ. He's here with us. We fellowship with him. We know he's here. And he said, don't go tell anybody yet. Wait. How difficult that must have been to wait. But it, in, it in emphasizes to me the absolute necessity of the fullness of the Holy Ghost. Nothing else is as important as that in your life. Nothing is as important as that in your life. And yet we let everything rob us of it. Everything in the world has, the Bible says we're not to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. We've grieved him because of our priorities. So many things we put before him because of our practices, the things we do. I mean, just the lifestyles and everything. Because of our pleasures, we, 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 we are just pleasure consumed, but not power driven. We have traded some bad trades. We've, we've made some real bad deals with the world, the flesh, and the devil. We've traded the touch of God for talent. We've traded the power of God for performance, and we trade the miracle of God for methods. We must have the fullness of the Holy Spirit of God. We need to have that power of God on us. We need to have it. We must have it. Revival is when God's people have their priorities right. It's when they have got everything out of their life and out of their heart and out of their mind and they have once again been filled with the Holy Spirit of God. In the book of Revelation, there are seven churches that give a panorama of church history. There are a particular message in each one of those that were unique for those churches that actually existed in those days. There, there are lessons to be learned from every church that was given in Revelation for every church in every age. But there is a panorama of church history there. And the church age that you're living in now is the church of Laodicea. And here's what he said about it. He said, you're lukewarm. You're neither hot nor cold. And he said, because of that, I'll spew you out of my mouth. We're not filled with the Holy Spirit of God. We're just kind of drifting along. In our text verse, he says this. He said, awake to righteousness. He gives a parable and he said, while men slept, the enemy came and sowed seed. We woke up one day in America and things had changed. You say, boy, it's really coming fast. Well, it came fast because it came slowly. A little bit of time, a little bit of time, a little bit of time. I don't mean to depress you. I pray the Holy Ghost of God will convict us. Here we are while we slept. 
while we were lukewarm. If you get, you get, you know, if, if, if you get in a situation where you're not too cold, not too hot, and if it's just right, you'll go to sleep. I find out the older I get, if I get still and it's not too hot, not too cold, I tend to go to sleep. We wake up one day and things have changed. Our grandchildren don't believe like we believe. Public schools are nothing like they were when you went to school. Nothing like it. Nothing like it. Our society's changed. Our communities have changed. We live almost in a little vacuum here in this area of Johnson County. You don't have to go far. You go into Wake County, go into Raleigh, go into Cary. You'll find a whole completely different culture there. Different environment there. Brother Donnie, who's one of our regular visitors, he and Ms. Mary, gave me this out of the clipping out of the News Observer. I'm not advertising that paper, but I do want to share these, and I've really prayed about whether or not to share these, and I believe the Holy Ghost had me to. Our, our legislator has given you the right to vote whether or not to have a constitutional, a constitutional amendment to say that marriage is the union of one man, one woman. And, and the bias is that that's, that is a Christian belief. That's a Christian belief. Uniquely, all around the world where there is no Christianity, that, that's practiced. It's practiced. It's strange. God made them male and female. They are different. Well, you believe it or not, there's a difference. It really is. They were created for his image, in his image, created for his glory, and created for one aspect of procreation. Homosexuals cannot procreate. The stage has been set through artificial assimilation to legitimize certain things. But there's no way they can fulfill that one responsibility to procreate. They just, they don't have the right plumbing. They're just not made right. God, God had a pretty good plan. We really messed it up. I want to read you this. It's titled, Bye Bye Bible. This is not in Germany. It's not in Switzerland. This is downtown Raleigh, Acts of Durham. I'd like to thank those seeking a constitutional amendment to prevent gay marriages. Since they have no, that is, no as in zero, credible evidence to support the position their own remained in authority, the only remaining authority is religious biblical which, as we know, is constitutionally enjoined from a role in civil law. However, it opens the way for a court challenge in which the existence of God and his authorship, divine authority of Scripture, would need to be proven. As neither of these is possible, this should remove religion from any legal social standing and give it a significant push toward its long overdue and richly deserved demise. You understand what he's saying? That this one issue, can be, there'll be legal challenges brought and legally constitution, 
In order to validate that position, you have to believe in a divine authority or the Bible. And if it's disproven that it, it delegitimizes the Bible and biblical principles, and God can be just eliminated. I'm a high school student, and I'm embarrassed to live in North Carolina right now. The decision of the North Carolina Senate concerning gay marriage is a step backward and is completely inappropriate. Times are changing. The majority of the people against gay marriages do not represent the youth in our state. We are the future. The fact that most teenagers and young adults support gay marriage is a sign that legitimizing it is moving forward. One of the most treasured teaching, one of the most treasured teachers at my high school is in a civil union with another woman. And last year's homecoming queen is a lesbian. Younger generations do not have the same bias that our older generations do, and it's time for the older generation to accept what's coming. The only hope of America is revival. It is not an election in 2012. You have your candidates, you push your candidates, but we need revival. And while we were asleep and playing church and playing church politics and bickering about non-essential things, trying to decide who was going to run the church and who was going to be in control and fussing over what color to paint the walls, the enemy came and sowed tares. And they're here. You say, well, I don't believe what they said. You better believe it. Because they're right on target. It's here. And if God the Holy Ghost doesn't take control of us and of this nation, we're in trouble. I speak this to your shame, that many have not the knowledge of God. If God the Holy Ghost said to you what he said to me, I'll send revival, and I'm going to save everybody that you personally have shared the gospel with. The rest of your family, and the rest of your friends, and the rest of your work associates, and everybody else I'll send to hell. Would it move you to do anything? Would it move you to seek God in prayer? Would it move you to say, God, have mercy on America, and God, purge me? What must we do? What can I do? What can you do? Number one, we must confess and be clean. He said in 1 John, if we confess our sins, he's faithful just to forgive us and to cleanse us. That means you acknowledge our sin. If it's the shameful sin of not witnessing, you acknowledge that. If it's, it's other things the Holy Ghost God brings to your mind, you confess it and be clean. He'll cleanse you. God will do that. And then not only that, the second step is this. You and I must have genuine contrition and brokenness and humbleness. If my people, which call my name, will humble themselves, you and I must recognize the fact that we cannot, we cannot do what needs to be done. We cannot make effective 
a change in this culture. Only a holy God could do that. I will remain faithful. I've got to go buy CDs on Monday morning. We're sending them out. If I've been saying we're going to do 50,000 this year. If Mississippi keeps on, we could very well do 100,000. They're going to cross America. And Donnie and Deborah, I'm going to continue to preach every chance I get. I'm going to try to witness to everybody I can. I told Regina this morning, my plan is to invite every person on my road to revival this week personally. Knock on their door and invite every one of them. In your bulletin, there's two little invitations there. I, want you to, I challenge you to do the same thing. You must do that. You must, you must, we must be humble, recognize. And then we must, we must ask him. We, we must earnestly pray that God would come. And in the first place, you and I must pray for personal filling of the Holy Spirit of God, for the Spirit of God to fill us to overflowing and for that anointing that will make the difference in our own life. You must ask him individually for that. And then you must pray for God to send real revival in this nation. He'll do it if you ask him. I believe God can, will visit us one more time. I want us to stand with our heads bowed, eyes are closed this morning. Many have come to the altar already. I just ask you to mind the Holy Ghost. I speak this to your shame. In just a little while, choir, I've talked to Brad. I want you to come back. We're going to sing. You're going to sing the same song, but a bit to close after we finish the invitation. I want you to sing the song you sang for your special this morning. He said, awake to righteous and sin not. For many have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Oh, how, how ashamed will it be at the judgment seat of Christ. I'm talking about me. I'm talking about me. You see any faces while you have your eyes closed? Have any children or grandchildren? Have anybody around you anywhere that you have not personally talked to about the Lord? That you've not given the gospel? I'm not talking about living a lifestyle. I'm not talking about being a good husband, a good daddy. The Bible said, how shall they believe in him whom they've not heard? They need to hear the gospel. They need for you to share the gospel with them your friends, your neighbors, your work associates. And in order to do that, you must have boldness. That's why they prayed, God grant with all boldness. Well, you need that. Admit you don't know how. I admit I don't know how. Ask God to help you to know how. And do that. The most shameful sin, while we slept, the enemy was busy. And we've got folk all around us that have not the knowledge of God. You cannot be filled with the Holy Spirit of God and do what so many people in our nation do. I could go through a lot of things about our personal sins as Christians. Robbing God of the tithe, not giving. Not being faithful to the house of God. Having secret sin in your life. Gossiping. Pride. Sowing discord among the brethren. But all of that would be eliminated if we would be filled with the Holy Ghost of God, you just mind the Lord. Pray God to give you victory. We settle it, get it under the blood, begin to do what we ought to. We have to do it with joy, with victory. The joy of the Lord is our strength. The fullness of the Holy Spirit of God brings joy, patience, long-suffering, 
The fullness of the Holy Spirit of God brings a peace that passes all understanding. When these people were filled on the day of Pentecost, they went out and they were, they were in such a state of ecstasy, rejoicing, that the folk in the, in the surrounding area thought they were drunk. The only people they ever saw that happy, that they ever, ever saw with that, that spirit were those who had, were drunk. I don't mean you got to go around with a melancholy look. If you get right with God, He'll give you joy. He'll give you peace. I pray the Holy Ghost of God will not let you rest, though, until you get clean and get before Him in a, a sincerity. If you have a burden for this nation, you ought to have been here in this altar already. If you've got a burden for your family, you ought to have been in this altar already. If you have a burden for, for seeing folks saved, you ought to have been here already. God wants to use you. He chose to use you. He wants to feed you. Will you honestly seek Him? While you're praying this morning, confession of sin, get clean. Contrition, humbleness. Say, God, you got to help me. I can't do it. Cry out to Him for the fullness of the Holy Spirit of God and for revival in this nation. Will you also pray for revival? Pray for Brother Bill as he comes to preach and pray for this church. There's no reason in the world that every church member ought not to be in this revival. Five services, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night. Can you not give God five days, five services, hour and a half, maybe two hours? With the hope that God would visit this nation one more time? With the hope that God would save your children, your grandchildren? With the hope that God would save your friends and classmates and work associates? That God would do something in this nation to turn it back to himself? That your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren might have the privilege of growing up in something that looked like what it did when you were a child? Wouldn't you, wouldn't you be, if God would say, if you'll be faithful these five nights, I'll do it. Would you be willing to do it? I'm going to tell you, it's worth the try. It's worth doing everything you can to let everything else go and get here and seek God. Join in the prayer team, pray and figure out a time back on that chart and sign up. Holy Ghost of God moving in your heart. If you're here this morning, you don't know Christ. I invite you to trust the Lord Jesus Christ right now. With every head bowed, every eye closed, and while we're praying, the Lord Jesus Christ loved you and died for you. And he said, if you'll call on me, I'll answer you. And, and, and if you call on me, he said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He promised to do that. Oh, yes, and right now, if you'll just call on yes, him, ask him to come in your heart and save you, give you everlasting life, he'll do that. And God, this is your people. This is your place. And God, I believe with all my heart, I've minded you this morning. I believe, God, I did exactly what you told me to do. And God, I, I, I pray you'd forgive me and purge me and cleanse me. God, help me to be a faithful witness. I pray, God, you'd help me to share Christ. Thank you for speaking to my heart. And God, I ask for your anointing. Fill me with the power of the Holy Ghost. And God, I'll thank you. God, take complete control of my life, my thoughts, my every intention. I surrender it all to you. And I pray, God, Lord, that you do the same for all of our church family. You just seek God. I don't know what you're supposed to be doing right now other than minding him. Between you and him. Between you and him. He said, many have not the knowledge of God, and I speak this to your shame. He was aware of the fact that church at Corinth hadn't told a lot of people about the Lord. It's a shameful sin. 
that we have the truth, that we've been saved and on our way to heaven, and we don't tell anybody, hadn't told anybody. That's why I want the choir to make their way back up here on just to the platform. You don't have to come in the choir. I asked Brad Ritten, y'all can get up here on the platform. I want the choir to lead us, but we're all going to sing here in just a minute. But I want the choir to lead us in that song, Go Tell Somebody. Go tell somebody. Choir, if you will, slip back up here and we'll get it queued up back there, Brother Joe Barry and Brad will lead them. Heavenly Father, in the strong name of Jesus, God, I pray the spirit of soberness we now feel God would lead to genuine repentance. God, I pray that you'd purge us. Our Father, you intended for us to have the joy of the Lord, intended for us to have peace. But our Father, we'll not have real genuine joy, real genuine peace unless, our Father, we're in right with you and we're filled with the Holy Ghost. Help us not to grieve the Holy Ghost of God. Help us not to quench the Holy Spirit of God. And God, I pray that you'd make us willing vessels to be used of God. Fill us to overflowing. And God, I pray that if we know Jesus, we know him, that God, we'd spend this entire week telling folks about the Lord. In Jesus' name.